Gina Della from Pella through June 30th at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 40% off installation or six-year no-interest financing. Get details now at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I have a note to some people in Oconomowoc. These are the folks that called the mayor and complained a couple weeks ago when outside the the police department they raised the thin blue line flag and some people were all upset. Oh, this is terrible that you're having the the thin blue line flag, which is, of course, the flag that shows support for for the police. This is so terrible. And the mayor of Oconomowoc then swept in and ordered them to take down the take down the flag. He's now, of course, recognized that he was wrong. He has apologized for that. So I don't pick on the, the mayor for this. He, he admits that he made a mistake. But for the people that were upset about how dare you fly the, the flag, you know, the, the police flag, uh, today, Governor Evers, to celebrate Gay Pride Month, is getting ready to fly the LBGTQ flag over the state capitol. And I, I look, we, we talked about this last year. I, th- this is not... This is not, to me, it's not a voting issue, and if the governor wants to do that, that that's fine. That's his right to do it. So they're going to fly the, the gay pride flag, and that's fine. But if it's okay to fly the gay pride flag over the state capitol, it seems to me it is certainly appropriate to fly the thin blue line flag outside various police departments, including in Oconomowoc. Just saying. All right. I had an interesting conversation with somebody over the weekend. The city of Milwaukee's COVID-19 mask mandate is ending. They, uh, they've kept it two weeks longer than, than most, uh, cities around and most communities around here. After the CDC came out a couple weeks ago and said there, there's no reason for vaccinated people to wear masks, most communities dropped that requirement. The, the city of Milwaukee said, well, we're not going to do it. We're going to keep it for another two weeks. And their excuse for that was, well, we, we need to give businesses time to figure out how they're going to react to this, which was just a stunningly stupid position to take. I mean, I, I don't, I don't really believe that that's that. I don't believe Tom Barrett really meant that because businesses all throughout the rest of our listening area, they, they had no trouble with figuring out what they're going to do, and in most cases, they just took down the, the masks required sign. You didn't need two weeks, but nevertheless, the city of Milwaukee finally they gave people two weeks. So, I mean, today is June first, and today is the day that the 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 mask mandate is going to be be ending all right well I was talking to somebody over the weekend it was kind of an interesting conversation because the point they made is they said look in some of these urban areas particularly the city of Milwaukee you, you don't have vaccination rates that are as high as the vaccination rates in in other parts of of the state on top of that, you have, particularly in some of the the communities that are predominantly persons of color, that those vaccination rates are, are even lower. And the person was saying to me, you know, I'm just a little bit uncomfortable with, with lifting this and said, I, I think we are doing this too soon. And I think this is the person I was talking to that, that we would all we're going to come to regret this decision to 
again, do away with the mask mandates, to which my response was, well, look, there, there's nothing wrong. If you if you want to keep wearing a mask, keep keep wearing a mask. If for whatever reason you want to wear two masks and goggles and go out in hazmat clothes, I, I'm fine with that. I, I don't I don't look down on you for making that decision to do it. But I think for most of us. We recognize and are comfortable with the fact that we can now go out in public without masks to the point that I I mean, I guess I, I still have one of my little masks in my, my back pocket in case I would happen to go somewhere where it is required. But in general, I am now at a point where I am completely and totally comfortable going out into pretty much any setting, whether it's I was at a funeral service at a church on Friday you know, afternoon, whether it's you know going into bars or restaurants, whether it's going into stores, I am perfectly, totally, 100% comfortable in going into those places without a mask. I am comfortable that my vaccination is going to work. I am comfortable that I am not going to get sick. And I'm also comfortable that I'm not going to get anybody else sick because if for some reason I start running a fever or start feeling bad, well, then I'm I'm not going to be going out in public anyways. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you ready for now the mask mandates statewide to, to end? And my answer is I think probably about 90 to 95% of the people in this state are are ready for this. And for the other folks, that that's fine. Con- continue to wear masks if it makes you feel better. I, I'm not going to judge you. But for me, I'm, I'm ready to take off the masks. I'm ready to put them away. And I'm ready to get on with life without wearing a mask. How about you? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I was at the Indianapolis 500 this weekend. Yeah, they had 135,000 people. It was, it was a sellout. They were limited to 40% capacity. Anyways, I was at the Indy 500 this weekend. Masks were required to enter. That was the extent of mask wearing. We walked through the ticket gate, looked around, saw no one wearing them. Off it went. Seems 135,000 fans were ready to be done with masks. I will say this, though. If if you're going to a Bucks playoff game for the rest of the season, the NBA is still insisting that you wear masks. Now, why they're insisting that is a different question, but they are. There, there's going to continue to be a rule that you got to wear masks inside if you're going to uh, Fiserv. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Jeff, I will judge them. You say you won't. Um, I think it's nothing but virtue signaling. Well, okay, that's it. Jeff, I'm ready, but there are always going to be people who are mask lovers, to which I, I say that's fine. And, and again, it's I think that there is going to be, and I've been saying this since the beginning of the pandemic, there is going to be a certain percentage of people who will, for whatever reason, continue to wear their, their masks. And, and maybe they'll they'll double mask and maybe they'll triple mask. And I, I still see some of that on, on TV where there's really no reason for these reporters to do it, except that, again, they're, they're virtue signaling. But that's OK. If you want if you want to wear a mask, you know, that's fine. If you want to go into Costco or Menards or, you know, any of the big other big box retailers and you want to wear a mask because it makes you feel more comfortable, um, you think it's going to increase your safety. That, that's OK with me. Um, no problem. Jeff, for some odd reason, um, fit younger folks running and biking on the lakefront in Milwaukee still are often wearing masks, 
even though they're never near anyone else. That 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 is kind of an interesting phenomena, and I I've seen that as well. You see some of the people that are out exercising, they're outside, and and let's let's face it. The the chance of COVID spreading in an outdoor setting has always been not non-existent, but it's been minimal. These outdoor mask requirements all along have been, I think, a classic example of, of virtue signaling. What's the evidence of that? Well, remember last year when we had the spring elections and we were told if people go and vote in person, it, there's going to be all the, these, these huge, there's going to be an explosion of uh, COVID, and, and it never happened. You saw a number of people who would attend the various social justice protests last summer, many of whom were not wearing masks, and, and there was there was no explosion of COVID or anything like that. So wearing masks outside to me has always been more than a little bit problematic. But if it made our, you know, if it made people feel good, that's fine. If it made the health officials feel good because they were imposing these different requirements, you know, that was fine. But I think that the bottom line is people are ready to be done with this. And you've seen this more and more. If you watch now, I, the, the only way, in my opinion, to take in like Milwaukee Brewers games, if you're not there in person, is to, you can put them on TV, but then you turn the sound down and you listen to the ball game on WTMJ. But if you look at the pictures from the crowd, there's nobody wearing masks. And there there, there hasn't been too many people that are, are wearing masks. And because I think people are, are ready to get on with their lives, they are ready to put the masks aside. And now you're, you're able to do that. Interestingly enough, though, in the People's Republic of Madison, they have decided to continue their mask rules in buildings, in public buildings. That would be public buildings like the, the, the state buildings or the, the city buildings. You, you still have to wear a mask, and you're going to have to continue to wear a mask for another month or so, I think until mid-July. Is there any reason scientifically for it? Absolutely not. But again, it, it makes people feel good. So if it makes you feel good, that's fine. Go ahead and do it. But that was my point to the person who was telling me that, that they're not comfortable going out in public without a mask. It's all, okay, well, that's fine. If you're not comfortable, continue to go out in public without wearing a mask with by, and wearing a mask. And I don't think we should judge you. Jeff, we were at Lake Geneva over the weekend. It was packed everywhere. More masks were on the ground than on anyone's face. Um, Jeff, hopefully when the remaining 50% of the population gets their vaccines, they can take off their masks as well. Well, you're not going to get 80% of the people here. Um, so, Jeff, please be careful criticizing um, mask wearers. They might be other um, people who are, you know, have other underlying health problems. Well, I don't think anything in our conversation is to criticize mask wearers. My point is, if you want to go wear a mask, wear, wear a mask. And I do believe there are going to be a certain segment of the population, like I say, that's going to continue to wear masks maybe maybe forever. I think that you are going to see, I always used to say this, if you would go to Las Vegas pre-pandemic, one of the things that you noticed a lot was um, people, visitors to Vegas from Asian countries, I mean, they'd be walking through the casinos and they'd be wearing masks. That was just kind of the way of, of life. That's the way of life in China, I guess, or things like that. So I, I don't don't be surprised if some people still continue to do that. And no, I'm, it's not being critical. It's just... 
All right, for those of us who have been vaccinated, I don't think there's any reason for us to need to do it anymore, and we don't intend to do it. Jeff, I'm ready to be done with masks in a store or restaurant, but going forward, I will always wear a mask on an airplane. I fly a lot, and I have never been healthier. That's kind of an interesting question. I've, I've always said this before. My, if you're trying to figure out when when I am most likely to get sick, it is inevitably after I've gotten off an airplane because you're in close quarters and typically I'm always sitting in front of the, the eight-year-old kid who's coughing up a lung and mom and dad haven't figured that they should tell the kid to cover his mouth. So, I mean, I, I do concede that. At the same time, you know, I, I, I don't know. If I'm not required to wear a mask on a plane, I'm not sure I'm going to do it. But again, if you want to do it, um, go ahead. Feel free, and I don't think people should judge you, but don't judge the rest of us who have decided it's time to go mask-free. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, I had no intention of watching this movie to begin with, but... But now, now there is a reason to perhaps watch it, if only to infuriate the politically correct and the perpetually offended. You know, the, the, the folks that are out there on the Internet with way darn too much time on their hands, the people who are obsessed with the cancel culture. There's a, there's a movie that was released about a month ago. It's on Netflix. I don't know if it's in the theaters as well. It, it's called Army of the Dead. Gru, have you heard about Army of the Dead? Yeah, it came out uh, about a week or two ago on okay. Netflix. I saw it. All right, you saw it. Okay, well, here is... <laughs> did, did you like it, or do you want those two hours of your life back? Uh, it's one of those summer movies where you go into it knowing it's going well, to be entertaining but terrible. Well, yes, because here's here's the plot of, of Army of the Dead, to give you an idea. A, a U.S. military convoy traveling from Area 51, that's the UFO thing, collides with a car on a highway outside of Las Vegas. The convoy's cargo is a zombie. The zombie escapes, killing and infecting several soldiers before heading into Las Vegas. There, the zombies infect most of the city's population. After a military intervention fails, the government quarantines the city. Okay, so you, you, you've you got that. It's kind of like Escape from New York. Now, I, I'm sure for many of you, I probably lost you at, at the zombies have taken over Las Vegas. But then the, the plot, and I, I have the plot in quotation marks, is that you have a bunch of people who decide this is the ideal opportunity opportunity to like go into Las Vegas and, and plan a big heist because it's it's occupied by zombies. So that that's that is essentially the plot as as uh, so so-called plot of that. So the, the group is going to go in there. All right. So what 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 is you've got zombies killing people taking over Las Vegas. What 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 could have what could have generated all the upset that, that is on the Internet that we're talking about. Like, for example, well, here's how The Washington Post puts it. Of all the potentially offensive elements to the movie Army of the Dead, from topless zombie showgirls chowing down on gamblers, topless zombie showgirls chowing down on gamblers, does that bother anybody on the Internet? Nope. To the government using a medical emergency to crack down on dissent, to an emergency zombie cesarean section? Huh. Is that their group? Yeah, I mean, I remember a lot of 
weird things. Yeah, so right. it's, it's hard to remember everything. Right, right, but. exactly. Okay, but but you, you you get the idea of what people could be theoretically offended by. Topless zombie showgirls chowing down on gamblers. Um, emergency zombie uh, cesarean section. I, I, I can't even imagine what that looks like, and I have no desire to see it. But that's not what has people on the Internet upset. You know what has them upset? Sean Spicer, who is the former press secretary for President Trump, he apparently has a, a very short cameo. Like a, they, they describe it as like a, a blink-and-you'll-miss-it cameo. This is the, his, Trump's first press secretary. And he, what happens is he's on there. Well, here's what one of the people on the Internet complains about. The surprise cameo is not only unnecessary, but it's jarring. Um, apparently, a number of other people are all upset that, that how dare, how dare the filmmaker put Sean Spicer on film at, at all. I mean, this is it. He's got this, you know, and I think he plays a government official or something. So he's actually kind of, you know, playing with what his image is. But people are literally upset that the filmmaker would even give Sean Spicer a couple of seconds. How dare you put this guy? Don't you realize he was Donald Trump's press secretary? We, we can't have him on there. This is just terrible. This is another example of like the count counter. Culture, the cancel culture just completely and totally run amok. Zombie topless showgirls, oh, that's fine. All this other stuff, that's fine. But you have Sean Spicer in your movie, well, you need to remove him. And actually, that's what this push is out on the Internet. There's people saying, well, what you need to do is you need to go in and you need to alter this. You need to physically remove him or digitally alter him, put somebody else's face in there, because otherwise, you know, what you're doing is you are condoning Donald Trump. This is the same thing that's going on with other members of the Trump administration who've written books or signed contracts to write books. You have all these people that are just so upset. Oh, we've got to cancel them. We, we can't allow these people to make a living. Don't you understand? They were part of the evil Trump administration. To which you want to say to these folks, just get a life. You desperately need to get a life. President Trump is no longer the, the president. And if you don't want to read a book written by former Vice President Mike Pence, don't buy the book. If you don't want to read a book written by Kellyanne Conway, don't buy the book. And if you don't want to see the movie Army of the Dead about a zombie apocalypse in Las Vegas because Sean Spicer is in it, well, do yourself a favor and don't watch the movie Army of the Dead. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. The Miracle League of Milwaukee is celebrating its 10th anniversary. That means an entire decade of bringing together children of all abilities to play organized baseball. The Miracle League believes everyone deserves the chance to play our national pastime, but they can't do it without the support of the community. Now, that's where you come in. To find out how you can support this great local organization, go to WTMJ.com slash CARES or text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to 855-616-1620, WTMJ. Care sponsored by Gruber Law Offices. One call, that's all. All right, Waukesha County beaches are opening for the summer. 
So Waukesha is going to be having the beach openings. They're excited. The weather's warmer. They're going to be allowing swimming at park beaches. Now, one of the things that is going on in Waukesha with the park beaches is that they will be doing something that Milwaukee is not going to be able to do. They will they will have lifeguards at the parks. Um, Waukesha County Park beaches reopened for swim at your own risk hours at six beaches last Friday. Lifeguards will be available beginning in June at two of the various parks. Now, when, when they talk to the, the park's director, um, he says, well, look, here, here's the deal. We, we clearly, we, we struggled to try to find lifeguards in the past, but we only have three openings left at this time, and we're confident that we're going to be able to, you know, fill those those jobs. So Waukesha is able to get people to be lifeguards. In contrast, as we have talked about before, in Milwaukee, there, there is a shortage of people who are willing to be lifeguards. And, and this has been part of an ongoing problem. Um, in 2019, Milwaukee County had 135 lifeguards for the summer. In 2020, they had 90 lifeguards. Um, in 2021, at least as of a couple weeks ago, they only had 52 lifeguards, only had 52. And as a result of that, there's going to be a lot of pools and there's going to be beaches that it's going to be either swim at your own risk or they're not going to be opened. But in the space of you know two years, you've gone from 135 lifeguards to 52 lifeguards. Now, being a, a lifeguard, I, I don't think as far as summer jobs go, I don't think it's a bad summer job at all. Starting pay for rookie lifeguards in Milwaukee County is is around $12.50 an hour, maybe a little bit more, 12.60 or something like that. And and it tops out at slightly under $15 an hour. But it's it's important work. There, there's no question about it. But for at the same time, it's while it is important work, it's not like you're, you know, laying bricks in 90 degree heat. It's not like you're up on on a roof, you know, um, putting down roofing tile. I mean, you're a lifeguard and it's it's a position of awesome responsibility. Don't get me wrong about that. But a lot of the times what you're doing is you're sitting there and you're watching the pool. Now, when there's times of action, you, you, you've got to be ready to go into action. But I would imagine that for people who are relatively outdoorsy and people who like to hang around around pools and people who like to swim, what 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 could be a better summer job than being a, a lifeguard? And in Waukesha County, they have been able to find, again, enough lifeguards to at least staff some of the beaches. In Milwaukee County, they, they, they just they, they don't have anywhere near enough and no idea as to how to get more. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, what what is going on here? And I'm willing to bet that maybe when you were a kid, you know, looking for a summer job, if you had the opportunity to work for the government and work as a lifeguard, you would have jumped at it. Because I will tell you, there's a lot of really crummy summer jobs out there that I did and friends of mine did over the course of, of the summer. Jobs where you know, you're inside a you're inside a factory, and it's 125 degrees, and that's in the evening. I mean, hard physical work without depreciating the significance of being a lifeguard. It's it's not that type of job. You need to know what you're doing, and there's a bunch of responsibility. But it would seem to me that, especially as starting pay for high school kids, 
high school kids or college kids that are home on spring break. And by the way, being a lifeguard is not intended as a full-time, you know, family supporting job. But I mean, twelve fifty to fifteen bucks an hour strikes me that that is a fair wage, and yet they cannot find young people who are willing to do the job. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a why question, and that is, why do you think that is? Why do you think that that students, whether it's high school or whether it's college kids, why do you think they're just turning up their nose and saying we're we're not going to go out and we're not going to be lifeguards? We're we're not going to like work at these different pools, even though they're paying well, well, well above minimum wage. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does it say something about the job? Does it say something about the salary? Or does it perhaps say something about I don't know the kids that are not interested in doing this? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I think the answer is all of the above, but particularly, I think it says something about the kids who just aren't interested in working. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, interestingly, Waukesha that they're they're only down three lifeguards. In in Milwaukee, well, they, they had in 2017, they had like over 200 people that were lifeguards. It's down to like this year, only 50, 52 or something like that. Maybe they've got a couple more now, but but they, they can't find people that will come in and, and do this. Now, they pay starting salary is twelve fifty an hour. And that's so you've you got some high school kid who's on on the swim team or whatever. I mean, twelve fifty an hour does not strike me as, as being a bad starting wage. And you can make up to 15 bucks an hour, depending on what your experience is. Now, some people say, oh, well, if they paid more money, they'd get more. I don't buy that. I mean, you, you could raise it to 17 bucks an hour, but, you know, for, for seasonal part-time work, they're not going to work at 12. They're not going to work at $17 an hour. They're just not going to do it. And and why why is that, that they're struggling to find seasonal work? Because I'm going to tell you something. When, when I was a kid, working, getting a summer job, working, for example, for the county, you, you you could you had to know somebody to do that. You had to know somebody in the parks department. You had to have an uncle who was a county supervisor or something like that. You had to have an in because these these were the great jobs that were there because they paid more than the typical minimum wage jobs, and that's what this does. In many cases, you're, you're working outside, you're cutting grass, or you're being a lifeguard or whatever. But but kids won't do this now. Now part of it I think is poor planning on Milwaukee County's part that they just. Again, weren't aggressive enough in trying to fill these slots and maybe they thought it was COVID, but this has been an ongoing problem. But the larger point is why, why, why won't, why won't a high school junior, for example, work for 12 or 13 bucks an hour? I mean, really? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Jerry in Milwaukee. Jerry, good afternoon. Well, hello there. How are you doing? I'm calling you way too often, but I have two daughters that were lifeguards. Uh, well, probably 10 years ago. And I think today, I, I don't know, maybe the kids don't want to learn things, but my daughters both enjoyed, first of all, getting a nice suntan, mm-hmm. second of all, socializing with people, and they learned how to save lives because they, you know, yeah. and they love to swim. So, I mean, it was an ideal job for them. They both loved them. I would. So I really yeah. don't understand why kids don't want to do it today. Right, and and again, thanks for calling. And again, it, it's not 
okay, you know, people talk about we got to we got to raise the minimum wage. Well, it, it's this is not a minimum wage job. I mean, starting salary they, they start at I think it's actually twelve dollars and sixty seven cents an hour. That, that's what they start. Now you say we can't support a family of four on that. Well, but th- that that's not who this is geared for. This is high school kids. This is kids home from college. Th- this is that hey you're and like you say you're you're outside. You're in that sort of outdoor environment. It's a job that has responsibilities to it. But let let's face it. It's it's not a job that you're going to pay people twenty five or thirty dollars an hour. But even if you bump the the, sal- the starting salary up to fifteen dollars an hour or sixteen bucks an hour, my guess is you still would not have people that would be willing to come out and work for that. Which I think you know it raises this larger question about how did these jobs, which were so very attractive, lifeguards working in county parks, etc., and hard to get not that long ago, now nobody wants to do them. And I do think. I think there's a couple issues, but I think part of it does reflect on the work ethic of of some of the kids out there who, well, I'd rather stay at home and play video games than go out and work. 855-616-1620. Doug in McGuanago. Hi, Doug. Hi, Jeff. Um, I think I agree with you that there are multiple issues. But part of the problem is, I mean, the last Menards I went into had like a card table out in front and a sign explaining all the benefits of the working there. The starting wage for part-time was $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. And you know, you've got to understand, to be a lifeguard, you've got to have your Red Cross certification. Yeah, but if you're a decent swimmer, that's not that the, Yeah, but that's not that hard to get if you're a good swimmer and stuff. But yes, well, you're, you're no, right. Yeah, You have to take a couple classes. Imagine, you're right. imagine what you have to put up with as a lifeguard in ah, Milwaukee County. Okay. That, now, that, you now. told me right. that Waukesha County has no problems. Milwaukee County, the behavior of the young people is over the top. Okay. So the kids don't want to put up with it. They can work at the Quick Trip or the McDonald's or whatever and get twelve fifty an hour and not have to put, well, no, McDonald's, you'd have to put up with the behavior, too. But, you know, there are jobs out there right now, and there's demographics. There are just fewer young people out there right now. Well, I don't, I don't stick, see, down. Doug, I st- stick with your, I mean, thanks. I, I think, you know, Buried in there, I think you give a couple of different reasons, but I, I do think you you hit on one of the major elements, and that is that um, working it, it's not as desirable as it might have been because you know it, it might have been cool and there might have been some cachet to be a lifeguard when say I was in high school, uh, but but now I think you you have hit on something that with. With what goes on, uh, you you have essentially lifeguards become glorified babysitters. You have parents that like dump the unruly kids off at at the pools and then you know just go off on their way. And so the lifeguards essentially it's not just hey we're looking out to make sure somebody doesn't drown in the pool, but what we're really doing is we're screaming at kids all day, telling them you know don't don't run, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop fighting, all those different types of things. And my guess is that does take away some of the some of perhaps the appeal of of that job but still i mean you're you're outside uh i you know 1250 an hour i i guess and to, to your point what's interesting is you're right you've got those card tables that are set up at menards and things like that but but they're they're, they're not finding people and now they think there's larger reasons for that and i think a lot of times they're looking for the adults to me you know working as a lifeguard continues to be a great 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 seasonal job for people but th- but they can't find people to do it i don't think it's because of the salary i think there's other factors and maybe doug you're you're on to something with there there being a glorified babysitter bill in oconomowoc hi bill you're on wtmj 
Hey, great topic, Jeff. Um, you know, when I was young, kind of like when you were young, that was a much sought-after job because guys would meet girls, girls would meet guys. You get a million-dollar tan, and uh, you've got some responsibility. Today, we've got more of an educated culture. I don't know if we were that smart back then. Of course, you remember, we paid close to that back then because the basic wage goes way, way back. If you were paying 25 to start, 35 on the top, you'd probably get it filled. We have a total culture that can't comprehend raising the basic minimum but, okay, wage. Okay, but this isn't minimum wage, Bill. I know, Bill. Bill, this isn't. No, 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 Bill. You call, up, Bill. You call all the time with this. No, Bill. You call all the time with this minimum wage thing. These kids aren't making minimum wage. They're making twelve fifty to fifteen bucks an hour. That's double the minimum wage, and they still can't get a job. They won't can't can't fill the jobs. So, Jeff, you'd put your life on the line for 12 to $15? Seriously? Well, well, people always did. I mean, Bill, thanks. Uh, Bill, Bill is one of these guys that's obsessed with the idea of minimum wage. My point is, okay, so if you say we're going to take a high school kid and we're going to pay him 30 or 40 or $50 an hour, okay, that's fine. But who's going to pay for all that? I mean, the, 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 you, you never had trouble finding kids that would work, you know, years ago for this price. It's I don't believe it's money. And I think that's the naive kind of knee-jerk lefty position. Oh, we, we've got to pay more for these jobs. Like I say, you, you could raise this. It, what's it, $15 an hour minimum wage? Raise it to 15 bucks. Okay, that, that's fine. You're still not going to have people doing it. And I think that's just kind of the, the reaction to that. Now, I guess at some point in time, you know, you say we're going to pay $50 an hour or whatever, and then maybe you attract some people, but then, you know, good luck, good luck with where that money's going to come from the taxpayers. These are seasonal, part-time, entry-level jobs. And I contend, contend that twelve fifty to fifteen dollars an hour is a fair wage for that. It's not. It's not the money that is stopping people from doing this. Jeff, lifeguards. Two of our kids were county lifeguards. It was a great summer job. They're thirty-five and thirty now. Our daughter worked from sixteen all the way through college. Back when they were working, they were making the same wages as they are offering now. I think it should be more. I believe this is a skilled job. Okay, and that's that's all well and good. But if you raise it two fifty an hour again, I don't believe that you're going to get more people that are there. Jeff, also lifeguards have to put up with a lot. People aren't always very nice. Young people can go to Walmart and Menards and make that and not have to put up with some of the kids that my things my kids were exposed to. Um, Jeff, um, let's see. Um, let's see. Where are we at? Um, one of the big issues is crime and complete lack of respect for authority in Milwaukee County. I would not my, want my teenage son or daughter working in some of these public areas. Other counties do not have those issues. Well, I mean, maybe that's maybe that is a factor, and maybe one of the concerns that you have there is the whole issue of of safety that's there. And in Waukesha, there's not as much of a concern with that, or maybe there's not a factor of the disrespect. If that's what is discouraging kids, well, maybe that's something that the county supervisor you need to look at, you know, what is the environment that's going on in the pools and and are we expecting lifeguards to be lifeguards or are we expecting them to be like um, traffic cops and are we expecting them to be babysitters in addition to being lifeguards? And if that's the case, well, well maybe what you need to do is figure out, you know, how how we can change this. Um, Jeff, um, like there are three reasons, I think, why kids don't want to be lifeguards in Milwaukee County. One is that they're glorified babysitters because a lot of the young people at the pools don't know how to um, act. Two, 
They've grown up under the impression that the sun is bad for you and you need to stay out of it. I'm not sure about that. And three, to be a lifeguard, you have to be disconnected from your phone for an extended period of time. Youth of America can't put their phones down long enough to be able to sit there for a couple hours and pay attention to what's going on around them. That is a very interesting point because I know my, my wife spent her entire life working in the restaurant industry. And, and one of the things that she used to always do is, you know, she would, you know, when, when people would come in, like the wait staff, the servers would come in, one of the first things she always used to do is she saw somebody on their cell phone, she'd take the cell phone. She'd you get it back at the end of the shift. There is, there is something, I, I think, kind of off-putting. You kind of walk into a restaurant and, like, all the, the staff, is they're on their cell phones and you're looking and there's dishes that haven't been cleaned or, or whatever or, or tables that haven't been bussed. It, it is, I think there is this element that, hey, you know, what do you mean you're going to take my cell phone away? Well, I don't want to work here. You're so mean there. Bottom line of this is it's a problem. To me, it's a problem that supersedes money. The idea is we, if we throw money at this, it's going to go away. If we pay people more money, then, then it's going to be Fine. Well, okay, if we pay people thirty or forty dollars an hour, but the job's not worth that. Where where is that thirty or forty dollars an hour going to come from? That is not realistic. The bigger problem, I think, is work ethic, maybe work conditions, and maybe, you know, parents who aren't pushing the kids to go out and get that summer job, no matter how sweet that summer job may be. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Mike Spalding, I think that show would be a lot less interesting if we had sound. <laughs> what do you think? You know? I think so, too. It's the uh, the soap opera diaries. It, well, well it, it is. For for people who aren't, aren't familiar, as we peel back the curtain here, we have in our studios a number of different TV monitors that are on, and one is set to traffic, and one is set to weather, and one is set to one of the news channels, and I get one to, to put whatever I want on. And then we have one that is always tuned into Channel 4. Mm-hmm. And Channel 4, between 1 and 2, always has days of our lives, The as my grandmother would say, her stories. <laughs> and... Um, and, and it's just it's just on in the background. We we never hear this. And every once in a while, it, it in the opening Sarah thing when Mike will be doing the news, we'll look over and there, there's typically one of two things that are going on. It's either somebody that's tied up or handcuffed <laughs> in in a basement or a cellar or something, and you know is being like yelled at, and you kind of go, huh. What's going on here? Or like today, it's a it's a soft core porn sex scene that's going on. You know, and and it it was. I mean, because we're we're yep. both we're both watching this, and and it's this this couple that is in in bed, and he's pulling down. You know, her he's got she's got straps on her nightgown. He's pulling those down, and then they cut away, and we're wondering, okay, where is this going to go from here? And then they they came back out after the commercial, and and they had they had skipped the middle, and then they were just kind of laying in each other's arms and stuff. Yeah, normally we're questioning. I wonder how this happened or what's going on. Not a lot of ambiguity this <laughs> right, afternoon. We, right, we, <laughs> we we knew what was going on, and and it just but they they kind of like skipped the, they skipped the middle part of that. And it's it, it is I, I think for these soap opera places they they must have like three sets. They've got the cellar, you know, where somebody's going to be tied up with, and sometimes they'll redesign that to make it you know look like a back room or whatever. And then they've got one or two bedrooms, and then you know there, there's like the doctor's office or whatever it is. Is there ever not like a guy who's super fit? On a soap opera. Well, that was that was that was the other thing. These were definitely beautiful people. There, yes. There's no question. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's, there's there's no question about that. These were not ordinary people that were having the roll in the hay and stuff. Can I drop a little soap opera sure. insight on you? 
Okay. So Kyle Brandt, he now works for the NFL Network. He hosts their NFL in the Morning, I think, show. Used to be a soap opera actor. And he was on a show, and they were asking about his past life in, in it. And he said since they film, you know, they, they film back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back on right. soap operas, he said on the they'd have shirtless days, and the guys would, like, not drink any water the day before, like, not eat any food. And he said, literally, up until the moment the camera rolls, they're like doing push-ups or like lifting free weights, and they say, you know, go. And right. he's like, everyone drops it, and you just try not to breathe a lot, so you look as cut and fit as you can be. Now, see, if it was you and me, we wouldn't even have to bother doing that, right? <laughs> we would have to be going through. <laughs> exactly. No, that, exactly. there is a, there for most of us. There is a reason why you know God made shirts, and that would be it. But it's it is just it's you know I almost never pay attention to that. But every once in a while, it seems like when you're doing the news, out of the corner of my eye, I'll think, huh, why is that woman in handcuffs in the basement? Or well, in this case, like you say, there was no mystery. We knew what the two of them were doing. Yeah, we're about to do. Yes. All right, days of our lives. I've told this story before, and it's just and and one of the things I learned early on in doing the show is is you don't mess with people's stories because the most difficult job to do is to be the receptionist at the front if days of our lives is ever preempted. I, I if you've heard me tell the story, I apologize. But uh, September 11th, you know, they sept nine eleven. They they preempt days of our lives, and we, we have dozens dozens of really nasty phone calls. Why are you taking days of our lives off? And it's kind of like, well, you know, the, these planes flew into the World Trade Center and stuff. I, I want to watch my stories. Okay, just a, a couple interesting texts came over in over uh, during the break before we move on from our lifeguard conversation. Jeff, I hire lifeguards in a local municipality. It is extremely hard to hire staff the last several years. I hire 30% more staff to cover the same hours. Kids are committed to sports, internships, etc. Pay rarely comes up as a reason. Yeah, I know that there's people out there who think, well, if we paid everybody 40 or $50 an hour for part-time jobs, people would flock to them. And, and of course, those are the same people that don't understand where money comes from. And, and if you're, if you're going to pay part-time high school kids 40 or $50 an hour to, to cut grass, yeah, yeah maybe you're going to get a handful of them, but explain to me where that money is going to come from because there, there's not this giant money tree that you just go out in the back and pull dollar bills off of. Pay rarely comes up as a reason. Parents have become much more apprehensive about letting their kids be lifeguards. Kids want to dictate their own schedules. And yes, dealing with the public is out of control. People's behavior can be so bad. I have stories you wouldn't believe, and I'm in a suburb. I'm not in uh, Milwaukee County. Jeff, when I was in high school around 2010, it was either 725 for fast food or be a lifeguard for 12 bucks an hour. Nowadays, I see hiring signs at stores everywhere starting at $15 an hour. Um, I quit lifeguarding because it is painfully boring just sitting around and yelling at people all day. Plus, like your other texter said, it sucked not to be able to check your phone. Huh. That... that that is the, the whole thing with phones, and it's another. Maybe it's a topic we'll, we'll do on another day. But it, it is it is amazing to me. And just just do your own experiment as you're as you are out and about in in different businesses, whether it's restaurants or whatever. And I, I think it it probably applies to people of all ages, but it particularly applies to to you know people who are quote unquote younger. However, you want to define that, and you would think that the the cell phone 
is it's like a sixth finger on on their hand that you just it's it's just attached to to the hand and just think of how often it is that you walk into uh, again a restaurant or a retail establishment and you see the the sales clerk and and their 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 head is just buried in in the cell phone or and I'm sure that this is a deal and I'm sure it is unpopular for the employers to say hey no you you got to you got to put your cell phone away and you're not allowed if you want to look at it you look at it on your break but no when you're supposed to be working and when you're out on the sales floor or doing whatever you know we we don't want you texting your friends um, we want you doing your job and I'm sure that that is something that people just go what do you mean I got to put up my cell phone I've got to put that away I don't think so all right there there is a controversy and shortly that about something that happened on Sunday evening in Milwaukee there was a call of shots fired 29th Street and West Cleveland Avenue around 10:30 Sunday night um, the story is police officers arrived at the house and saw an armed man on the front porch. The man then went to the back porch and fired shots, according to officers. According to the police, the officers told the man to drop the gun, but he ignored their commands. And an officer then shot the man and killed him. I mean, here's here's what the um, here's what one of the witnesses, a neighbor, says. He had shot two times that I for sure heard while the officers were here and yelling at him to put down his weapon. He came out onto the porch. Blatantly, you could see the weapon. Officers were standing right across the street saying, Milwaukee police, put down your weapon, put down your weapon. That's when they were trying to put officers out back as well. But they were up front engaging him with him being on the porch, and he was screaming at them to come and get them. Investigators say they found a gun at the scene. All of us, this is the witness. All of a sudden, he comes out and he's screaming. At first, you wouldn't, couldn't even hear what he was saying. And then it turned into somebody stole from him or was accusing it. And everybody is confused. Nobody knows what's going on. Um, the witness says it didn't look like he was aiming at anybody specifically, like we never saw him aim at us, more just like letting people know that he had it. But there's no question that the guy's arm, they get the call, their shots fired. There's the guy, he's at his house. He's, my sense is, he's in some degree of, of mental distress. He's got the gun. He's firing the gun sort of randomly. The police tell him to put down the gun. He refuses to do that. And one of the officers then, you know, re- returns fire, I guess, and hits and kills him. Uh, the medical examiner identified the guy this morning as a 49-year-old man. This is the first officer-involved shooting in this year. The last fatal shooting involving a Milwaukee police officer happened on February 29th of 2020. So our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There is a push not just in Milwaukee, but in other urban areas, to have, instead of police responding to all the 911 calls, to try to have other people, maybe social workers, maybe crisis counselors, 
people who go out and try to diffuse the, the situation. So there's a real push on, hey, we, we're sending cops to too many of these situations. And then you have people who are in mental distress or whatever, and it escalates. And next thing you know, you, you've got somebody who's being taken into custody forcibly, or alternatively, you get into a shooting situation. And there's a lot of people who think, you know, we send the cops out on too many of these things. Now, in this particular case, what you clearly have is somebody who I think it is is in a mental. It's got a got a mental problem. There, there's something that's going on here. He's at his house. He's firing shots. The police respond. He refuses to comply with police orders. He shoots in the direction of the police. I'm pretty sure that's what's going to come out. And and they return fire, and he ends up being dead. Now. Some people are suggesting, well, maybe there was an alternative. Maybe what you could have done is, I don't know, fill in the blank. You know, this cordoned off the, the area, try to talk the guy down, back off, you know, try to do something to avoid using deadly force, even though it's pretty clear that you're entitled to use deadly force. I mean, somebody's got a gun, they refuse to drop the gun, and they're shooting at you. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to say, at least I hope nobody's going to say, that the officer should not have returned fire. But I guess the question is, all right, are there other ways to handle this? Do the should this have been a situation where you again you you bring in the mental health counselors, you try to talk the guy down, you back everybody off, you let him just you let him keep firing rounds. You've, you've got a, a relatively contained situation in that he's at his house. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I look at this and it is an unfortunate situation. You hate it when police officers have to take somebody's life. You you, you hate it, but. In the real world, the reality is when something escalates to this point that you have somebody who's firing shots randomly into a neighborhood, I don't think the police have any choice but to deactivate the threat. And I, I guess maybe you could say, all right, here we've got this guy that's shooting off all these rounds and we'll, we'll just retreat and see what happens. Well, that's all well and good tell, you know, some bullet travels a block and a half and goes through somebody's window and hits and kills an eight-year-old girl who's sitting in the living room. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a case that I think there's going to be some people who second-guess the actions of the cops. Based on what I know, I'm not going to be one of them. What do you think? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think... In, in some cases, we, we have unrealistic expectations of, of police officers. In this case of what happened Sunday night in Milwaukee, you get a call at 1030 at night, shots fired. There's a guy, and my guess is he's in some degree of mental distress, a 49-year-old guy who's out on the porch of his house. He's firing indiscriminately. Neighbors are calling. There's gunshots. Guy is, is shooting. He's screaming stuff about people robbed him or whatever. The police arrive. They tell him. Put down your your weapon. He ref- they tell him that repeatedly. He refuses to comply. I guess he runs to his back porch or whatever. He continues firing. And at one point in time, one of the police officers shoots. Um, we we don't know how many shots were fired, but uh, it's it, it's. I think one police officer returned fire. The witness says he thought he heard about fifteen shots. That's not fired by the police officer, but they, but they end up killing the man. All right, and it's an unfortunate sort of thing. But for people who were saying, well, maybe maybe the cops should do something different. You know, maybe we should have the social workers come out. Maybe we should try to talk them down. First and foremost, 
you, you've got a situation where there's an active shooter, and if that person is refusing orders for whatever reason, I mean, I don't know if I'm living in that neighborhood. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't want to have to be like laying on my floor knowing that there might be bullets flying. Here's a text, Jeff. The police were 100% right in this case. If somebody's firing shots in my neighborhood, I want them to take that suspect down if he won't listen to their commands to drop the weapon. Andrew in Waukesha. Andrew, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Andrew. Um, you know, first of all, I don't, I don't think anybody is advocating that police don't show up to active shooter uh, situations. That that is the appropriate response. And you know, whether it's the police or a neighbor, you know, if you're shooting your gun off in the air, you know, something bad is going to happen. But uh, I just wanted to uh, relate a you know a personal story where. I lived with somebody who had mental health issues. They called the police, said that I had kidnapped them, and literally nine police showed up at my house. I was arrested, taken away, because, you know, police have their hands tied. They have to deal with domestic abuse situations in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Even if there's allegations, if the person says that they're afraid for their life. But, you know, if somebody else had been called, somebody from the Waukesha County who knew her mental health issues and could have walked through the situation a little more appropriately, it would have been a different outcome for me mm-hmm. and certainly for her as well. And, and, you know, so I think that there are definitely times when people other than the police should be showing up to the scene first. OK, but l- and l- let's 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 talk about your particular situation. Um, you let or, or let's like a, like a general sort of thing. You get you're you're the dispatcher. You're the 911 dispatcher and you get a phone call saying, um, so-and-so is kidnapped me, he's holding me hostage at gunpoint, we know, whatever that's going to be, and, and I've just broken away to make this call. W- what are they supposed to do in that situation? I mean, isn't that the kind of call that you, you expect there's going to be a massive police response to? Well, for, if, if a gun is involved, I would, certainly. But in this case, if the person calling has a, a record with the county of mental health issues, which she did, she actually had an active hold on her by the courts, I think there should be a different way to respond to that. I, how do you check that? that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really arguing, but I mean, how, how do you... How do you check that out? I'm trying to put myself, I'm the dispatcher. I'm the 911 dispatcher. I get this call from a panicked person saying, I, I'm being held hostage. I've been kidnapped by, by so-and-so, et cetera. How, how do you, you know, if we understand that maybe a delay can, even a couple minutes can may be the difference perhaps between life and death. Now, I understand it wasn't in your situation. I understand this was a you know, bad result. But don't, as a general rule, we want, okay, we're sending the cops there right away because we've got to respond to this. Well, look, I can see it being used in a negative, you know, if police are being sent to and fro for these kinds of calls, you know, if there are bad actors out there, it wouldn't take much to actually clear the streets of police by making some false phone calls here and there and then having, you know, a clear path for your getaway car. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, extemporaneously here, but there there should be a way to check these things on the fly. When the police showed up, the first thing they do is they ask who you are, ask for your license, they identify you. Right. There should be a way to do that before they ever show up. Okay, well, thanks. I mean, I I don't know. I think in some respects that that, that's that's sort of expecting a a lot because we 
we want an immediate response. Now, there's been this thing, what do they call it? They call it, what is it called? Swatting, where it's been one of these big prank things. And we've talked about this over the years. I don't know if it's still going on, but you know, where somebody would, would call up and would say, okay, I'm, I'm being, I've been kidnapped. I'm being held hostage, you know, et cetera. And they, they give an address because they wanted to have the police all show up and set up with the SWAT team outside. And you've had some very, very bad occasions, results of that, where it's somebody just sitting at, at home and all of a sudden you got the police that are surrounding it because somebody thought it was clever. I, I think, you know, you can always make points and ask questions about the investigative nature and things like that. But it, in, in this case, for example, you, you've got police, you've got people who are, you've got an active shooting situation. And it's once you show up, I think you have to do everything you can to try to defuse the situation. But, you know, if somebody's out there with a gun firing, you know, randomly, and they refuse police orders to drop the gun. I think at that point in time, the police have a right to defend themselves and public safety comes in. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, I hate to say I told you so, but I, I told you so. Uh, last week, we, we talked a little bit about this, this cyber attack and these, these pirates that are in Eastern Europe, that what they do is they develop this, this, this malicious malware. And what they do is they go in and they freeze computer systems and then they demand exorbitant sums to unfreeze it. The, the big example that happened last week or two weeks ago, I guess, was the Colonial Pipeline that's responsible for about 50% of the, the gasoline that goes from the Gulf up to the, um, uh, the East Coast. And so you had this temporary disruption. And as I've often said, we're, we're our own worst enemies. So people freak out that they panic and then they, they start a rush on, on gasoline stations. And even though there was plenty of gasoline um, that, that was ultimately there, they, they, you know, people show up and they get in lines and they, they, they essentially take all the gasoline out of the pumps and it takes, it takes a day or two for the gasoline to be resupplied. There, there really wasn't a shortage but it was just a, a timing sort of thing, not unlike what happened with toilet paper at the height of the, the pandemic. Plenty of toilet paper around, but every time a, a Costco or whatever would get a shipment of it, people ran in and they bought two years' worth of supply worth of toilet paper. If they would have just bought the toilet paper they needed, they would have been absolutely fine. But instead, they created this artificial run. Well, all right, what happened was Colonial Pipe, the Colonial Pipeline Company, they, they paid these hackers. They paid them $4 million or $4.5 million in cryptocurrency to um, help them unlock it and and what the actually what the pirates did it it really didn't work that well um but but nevertheless they paid and the, the story is now coming out that there's apparently been somewhere between 80 and 100 major cyber attacks on big businesses over the course of the last year or two most of which you do not hear about because they don't the the the, the victims don't want this to be publicized. So they just quietly pay the ransom, hundreds of thousands of dollars or, or maybe millions of dollars. And I, I guess I, I had two points with this. First of all, paying ransom to these pirates n- never helps. It never makes things better because all you do is embolden them. Hey, we just got $4 million from this deal. Okay, who's the next people that we can find to target? And I understand that's kind of easy to say if you're running a business. But at the same time, when you pay off these pirates for this, 
All you do is you embolden them. And that is precisely what ended up happening. Also, you have a situation where the this is not political. This is a complaint you can make about the Biden administration. It's a complaint you can make about the Trump administration. It's a complaint you can make about the Obama administration. Our Justice Department, our criminal investigators have been remarkably lax in aggressively going after these the people that are doing this. Now, I understand sometimes it's tough because they're located in Eastern Europe or wherever, but the, the, these groups that are out there, the dark side groups, people people know sort of who they are. And given all the research that we have and given all the law enforcement you know abilities that we have, the fact that we are not aggressively tracking down, identifying these people and prosecuting them, to me, it, again, it gives them the green light to think they can go ahead and do this. Now, I bring this up because there's another cyber attack that is in the news. Apparently, um, the, the group is called JBS Meat, and um, JBS Meat is one of the largest meatwork companies, M-E-A-T, meat in both Australia and in North America. Uh, this is the statement. On Sunday, May 30th, which would have been Sunday, JBS USA determined that it was the target of an organized cybersecurity attack affecting some of the servers supporting its North American and Australian IT statements. Um, resolution of the incident will take time and may delay certain transactions with customers and suppliers. So, again, what happened is the, these pirates, you know, decided to to go after, in this case, a, 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 a meat provider. And so the idea is let's try to scare them into, you know, um, having to pay us a whole bunch of money because if the word gets out that there's maybe a, a shortage of meat, uh, imagine how that's going to freak out people. If they freaked out over maybe being told that there'd be a couple days before you could get enough gasoline, imagine how they're going to react with um, this. The world's, they're the world's largest meat packer. They've got operations in Canada and the United States. Apparently, um, Australian meat processing, processing operations would be impossible without normal access to this. And so there's an ongoing question as to how bad is this going to be. But here's the bottom line. You don't negotiate with terrorists. And these cyber pirates, that's what they are. They are terrorists. The big question is collectively why governments across the world allow them to operate instead of identifying who's responsible for this stuff and then shutting it down. New York Times you know, had a big piece over the weekend talking about how not only are these companies themselves, uh, these, these pirates, not only are they making the cyber attacks, but they're actually licensing out their software to third-party pirates so they can make these attacks. I'm here to tell you this is a big deal, and it's going to get worse, unfortunately, before it gets better. And it needs to be a priority of law enforcement to shut this down because we've seen what even minor disruptions can do to the energy supply or people's psyche when it comes to gas, the latest attacks that's been going on after involving foodstuffs, you got to shut this down, and it's got to be a major league priority. Okay, when we come back, it is definitely a growth business, and who is fueling that growth might be surprising. I'll explain. We'll discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
It is perhaps no surprise, and we've talked about this before, that one of the one of the industries that is absolutely booming in the United States is the, the sale of firearms. Guns are flying off shelves. There are shortage of ammunition around. Let me give you an idea. March of last year, so about a year ago, um, one, one of the best ways to to measure gun sales is to look at the number of FBI background checks that are done, federal background checks that are done. Last March, this would be March of 2020, um, the, the number of background checks topped one million in a week for the first time since the government began tracking background checks in 1998. Now, again, it's, it's not an exact indicator, but it gives you an idea. Uh, over a million people, million people trying to you know, buy guns in that given week. That number has remained consistent for the better part of the last year. And a couple weeks ago, it hit an all-time high. 1.2 million background checks called in in a given week. 1.2 million. So that tells you that the desire for for firearms has, has done nothing but increase during the pandemic, during the course of the last year. Now, be honest. When I say to you, oh, okay, this is it's a gun purchaser. You know, what, be honest, what, what's the image that comes to mind? It's probably a middle-aged white guy who has a bunch of, maybe he's military, maybe he's not, but a middle-aged white guy who maybe lives in the suburbs and, and already has a bunch of guns. Isn't that kind of the image when you hear all these people are going out and buying guns and you think, who, who is doing this? And that's kind of the image that you have. Well, if that's the image that you have, you would be wrong. All right, there's new data that, that's out there um, from the Harvard Injury Control Research Center. Here's what they do. They say that of, of all the people who bought guns, they estimate that about a fifth of all the people who bought guns last year were first-time gun buyers. So that's about, you know, when you see that a million background checks a week, that's about 20% of them are first-time gun buyers. It gets interesting. Other data shows that those new owners were less likely than usual to be male and white. Get this. Of the new gun owners, half were women, a fifth were black, and a fifth were Hispanic. The data found that about 39% of American households own guns. That's up from 32% in 2016. Okay, so what what you're seeing is over the course of the last five years, a a dramatic increase of households that have guns, 32% to almost 40%. So you've got a dramatic increase there. And of the first-time buyers, what you find, half of them are women, and, you know, 20% are are people of color. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a question. Why is that happening? Why Why do you think that you're starting to see women in, in huge droves, for example, women who have never owned firearms before, they now represent half of the new firearm owners? Um, again, from the perspective of, you know, people who thought, oh, this is predominantly like the, the suburban males or whatever. Well, it's not. You know, 20 percent uh, black, 20 percent Hispanic. It's people all across, you know, the gender lines. There's no there's no gender differentiation. It, it's people, you know, your your race doesn't matter. People are buying guns in record numbers. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And now we're at a point where almost four out of every 10 American households own a firearm. 
Why are firearm sales exploding? I've got a couple theories, but why do you think? And if you're somebody who in the last year has purchased your first firearm, I'd be interested to discuss with you why you made that decision and what's been going on in the last year that caused you to go buy a gun. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, 855-616-1620. Steve and Cudahy. Hi, Steve. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, you know, because this uh, study or, or whatever this uh, paper was about is mm-hmm. uh, primarily driven by women, uh, most women are not the gun nuts where they love guns and they want to go out and target practice. They're doing it because they're feeling unsafe. Yep. Women aren't going to be buying guns in these kind of numbers unless they're feeling unsafe. And right now, with so much of, of the, the problems in this country and the attacks on the police, uh, they're feeling, I, I guess I've got to take, go to the next level and, and protect my family. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I see, I agree with you, and I think that explains why you have the comparatively large number of people of color who are also buying guns because it's it, it's not to use them in criminal things, it's to use them, you know, to protect themselves. I got an email from, a, a text from somebody who lives in Kenosha, and they're like, you know, th- their guess is, and I mean, I don't know for sure, but their guess is the number of gun sales exploded in Kenosha after the Kenosha riots last August. People, to your point, feeling unsafe and, and saying, look, I, I believe it. Yeah, I, I would to know. Thanks. Sir. I think you're on to something. Jeff, if I could describe the past year in one word, it would be unpredictable. There have been riots in the streets, job losses and staggering numbers and attempts to defund the police and a general mistrust in government. Owning a firearm gives some reassurance to many people that if all else fails, they can protect themselves and their their families. Um, yeah, I, I think that's it. Jeff, I think the reason you see gun purchases going up is it's a defensive move or perhaps a, a, asserting a sense of control to the perceived increasing of the lack of safety in the world from riots to the mass shootings to crime, etc. Well, that's I mean, that, that's it. To me, it is a illogical it is a logical extension of, of what is going on. The fact that on the one hand, we have politicians who are pushing the defund the police movement. Let, let's, let's do this. And at the same time, you have crime rates that are absolutely going through the roof. I, I think that's, that's what's happening. And it's not, again, there's this image and our first caller made the reference. Oh, there are these gun nuts. And, and see, and I understand that that's sort of this common image that's out there. Oh, you've got the guy that's got, you know, 50 guns that are, you know, in, in his basement or whatever. Well, okay, there, there might be some people like that, but that's that's not what's driving this. I mean, it's lots of first-time gun buyers. It's all across the demographic level. 50% of the first-time gun buyers are women. That tells you something. Matt in Oak Creek. Matt, you're on WTMJ. A lot of the points that you just made are exactly the points I was about to make. People just don't feel safe right now. You can't look anywhere or listen to anything, you know, that isn't talking about you know, defund the police right now or the riots that have happened in Portland or in everywhere else almost on a daily basis. You know, even in Kenosha, like you just stated, after the Kenosha riot happened, how the gun sales went up. People just don't feel safe anymore. And they see a lot of people doing things that they shouldn't be doing with little to no accountability for their actions. Mm -hmm. And I think people are starting to realize that they need to protect themselves. 
right? Or, or thanks, or at least thanks for the call, Matt. Or at least they perceive that they they need to. I mean, one of the things I always say with with people who own a gun, and I own a gun, you you really have to make the commitment to know how to use it. I mean, that's that the the, the worst thing. If there's anything worse than not having a gun when you need it, it's having a gun and not knowing how to use it when you need it. So, I mean, I think that's what comes with this. But yeah, I I think you're starting to see like society, at least a perception that society is kind of fraying on the edges and this inability to keep crime under control. And people think that this is a way to get some more control into their lives. Jeff, we live in Walworth County. I was shocked when my wife asked me about possibly buying a gun for the first time ever. Um, We both looked at a retail, um, we, uh, we both looked at a retail gun store because of the attitude towards law enforcement um, and the fear that some future legislation might make it more difficult to purchase. Um, yeah, um, that that's that's it. Jeff, no offense, but too many mentally ill people get access to guns. Well, well, that might be, but that's not what's driving. That's not what's driving the, these huge numbers. That's not where the 1.2 million background checks a week come in the spring. It's people feel unsafe. And see, I think this is important. I think this is this is the issue that I think politicians are, are missing. And as we cater to the defund the police crowd and this and that, we're not willing to hold criminals accountable. You're losing sight of the fact that there's a lot of average citizens all across the spectrum, conservative, liberal, moderate, white, brown, black, male, female, who are all starting to feel the same way. And they're they're expressing themselves by buying firearms. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa Barclay, I had to run out well, during your newscast because mm-hmm. I had to, had to record something real quick. Um, I come back, you're yawning. Was it, was it a, like a tough Memorial Day weekend? No, you know how you have such a relaxing weekend and you come back to work and you feel just a little tired. Okay. It was right. super relaxing, but yeah, I was just, uh, you know. That's it. That's it. That's little, that's little tired. Right. Well, I, I'm like that every day. That's why I like pails of coffee. You know, and stuff I, I did. Like. I ran two miles this morning. I got up early, and I think I just need another cup of Joe, like okay. you said. Just All right. One more jolt. All right. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that that's good. Well, we're glad you're here and glad you had a good Memorial Day and <laughs> oh, stuff. Thanks. It was um, yeah. That now, Gru, you were um, you you went home sick on Friday, so you didn't hear my story. Um, the I, and I hope a lot of you had an opportunity to get out to the the wall, which was in Frame Park in Waukesha, um, and. And the the opening ceremonies were Thursday night, and it's tough to remember when we're looking at beautiful sunshine and seven degrees. But Melissa, Thursday night, Thursday night was about as miserable a spring-ish day as you can get in Wisconsin. It was forty degrees. It was driving. It was pouring rain, and then there was like a thirty-five mile an hour wind that was making the rain blow sideways and. Um, I was, and that that's that was the first day for the moving wall, which w- was there through yesterday, um, and it, it. But it was. I mean, I remember sitting. We were on this amphitheater at Frame Park, and it was me and Paul Farrow, the Waukesha County Executive, and Sean Riley, who's the mayor of Waukesha, and a couple of veterans. And were and there's there there's there were like two hundred or so hardy souls, maybe three hundred that were in the the stands. But they all had umbrellas. The the those of us who were on the kind of like stage thing. We didn't have umbrellas, and we were. I, I there is a picture of me that I, I know <laughs> no. I'm going to get. It's going to have blackmail purposes because when this is all over, Paul Ferris, let's take a picture. And I, I look like a drowned oh, rat. I did mean, you have it, a rain jacket on? 
Oh, oh yeah. I, well, oh, okay. I, had, I had a, I had a rain, I had like a, a London fog raincoat on over, over a suit. Like I, why I was wearing the suit because not they could see <laughs> yeah, it. Right. But um, my, my wife was there. Now she was like under an overhang or something. But mm-hmm. she, but she was a trooper too. But when, when we go back up to the car, she says, "You got to take off that oh. jacket because it's, it's just." I think it, it took the better part of two days and three times through the dryer to dry it out because it was just wet. sopping mm-hmm. wet. But, but it was just, and, and things got better and stuff like that. And I guess I kept thinking. Well, all these Vietnam veterans um, who were not used to—I mean, obviously they—they'd been out in the rain for a long time, and if they—if they could spend four months in the jungle getting rained on, I could spend an hour, you know, getting rained that on. That seems as well. doable, yeah. But it was. But in any event, I—I I, I hope I know there were a lot of Memorial Day ceremonies around the the area, and I hope you had an opportunity to go out and take some of those in, and um, to all the different veterans organizations. Um, Melissa and I both want to say just thank you for all you do. Absolutely, a hundred percent. Okay, let us switch gear oh just a couple thoughts on what we were talking about before because during the break a number of very fascinating texts come in let me share a couple with you and this is what we were talking about at the end of the last hour was just the continuing explosion of gun sales but but the story is the people who are buying guns it's a lot of first-time gun buyers 50 percent of those first-time gun buyers are female and a good proportion of those first-time gun uh, buyers are, are people of color. So, I mean, if, if the image is, oh, the only people that are buying guns are like these angry white men that are out somewhere in, you know, some rural counties, that's just flat out not true. Jeff, my dad is an ex-police officer and firearms instructor. I've been around guns for my whole life, this is a woman, and I've learned to respect them. But as an adult, I never felt a sense of urgency to purchase one until last year. It's definitely due to feeling unsafe and overall uncertainty. Jeff, I just took a concealed carry class, and there were about 40 people in the class represented almost every race imaginable. Out of that class, 95% were new gun owners, 95%, which does bring me to my, my one – I don't know if it's fair to say if it's a beef or not about the concealed carry law in the state, but it, it gives me an opportunity to get back on my soapbox for a minute. I I was somebody who, for years and years, sitting in this exact chair, advocated that Wisconsin adapt adopt concealed carry. The the idea that 48 other states had some variation of it, and the idea that we in Wisconsin were going to be somehow more bloodthirsty if if we allow law-abiding citizens to get a license and carry a concealed firearm, I I, I rejected that, and I've been proved right. I'm not saying that you never have an incident where there's somebody who's got a concealed carry permit who's involved in an improper shooting but it's it's a it's a rarity so all those concerns oh this is going to be the wild wild west that that's proven untrue i do think and whether it needs to be a a mandated requirement or not there's still a, a best practices the one thing that comes the concealed carry courses do not at least most of them don't have a mandatory firearm training component to them. Now, I mean, I've told this story before. Back in another life, I mean, I was a special deputy U.S. marshal because I had death threats and things like that. And, but in order to do that, I had to qualify with my firearm. I mean, I had to go down to a range and prove I knew how to use it. And I, that was that was fine. I mean, I, I went through shooting classes and I, I knew how to I had to prove that I could shoot with this um, in Wisconsin. And of course, in most of the states that have concealed carry laws, there's not a proficiency requirement. And I do admit that that always gives me a little bit of trouble. Now, I'm not advocating and saying that the government needs to say that before you can get the concealed carry permit, you have to prove that you can shoot. But 
I think it's a good idea. I mean, we wouldn't just say to somebody who's 16 years old, here, um, just, just, you know, you're, you're now 16 years old. You can read a couple books. Now, now go out and drive. Well, actually, we kind of do do that now. <laughs> here, go on the, go on the freeway. But we do require some driver's ed and some behind the wheel training. I, I think if you're going to make the decision to own a firearm, you owe it to yourself to make the decision to know how to use the firearm. Cause like I said earlier, if there's anything worse than needing a gun and not having it, it's, it's needing a gun, having it, and not knowing how to use it. So for, for all the new first-time buyers out there, I would encourage you to not just go to the classes and learn what the legal obligations are. you got to do that. But whether you want a concealed carry permit or not, I, I think that there is an advantage to actually learning how to shoot it, going down to a range, practicing, so you know that if in the event that for some reason you need to use that gun, and hopefully that need will never arise, that you know how to use it. All right. want to tell you the story about a woman named Amy Cooper. You, you will remember the story. You might not know her name. Amy Cooper, about, well, it was actually a year ago Memorial Day, she was she was the face of all the, the quote-unquote Karens in the world, you know, the, the sort of clueless, racist women who have, um, who are, are publicly ridiculed because they, again, have, have no perception of the world. Amy Cooper was the white woman who was in Central Park, Last Memorial Day, and and you can you might remember this. It began when there was a bird watcher whose name was Christian Cooper. No, they're no related relation, but they both have the same last name. And Ms. Cooper, Amy, she's in Central Park and she's got her dog with her, and the dog is not leashed. Now the rules say you, you got to have the dog leashed. But the dog's not on a leash. So this this bird watcher, who happens to be African-American, goes up to her and says, okay, lady, your, your dog needs to be re- needs to be released, needs to be on a leash. She refuses. Um, the guy then tells her that, well, okay, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give the dog treats to draw the animal away from her. All right, so you can see this is this is now escalating, and the guy the man pulls his phone out and starts recording the exchange. The woman, Amy Cooper, she's clutching her dog tightly and she calls the police. She says, I'm, I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Um, she says, as she's dialing and she says, um, to the, then she calls up 911 and she says, that's exactly it. I, I'm being threatened in Central Park. There, there's an African-American man threatening my life. Well, the guy is recording this. It goes Viral, and you might remember this whole thing. Um, and it, 30 million viewers look at this, and um, she's being labeled as okay. That this is this hate crime. Now her story is: Hey, I was afraid. This guy, I, I, I this guy was coming up to me. He was threatening. He was going to lure my dog away. I felt threatened. And, and yes, I did describe him as an African American male. I said it's an African American guy. I, I did say that. There's no question about it. But I was just trying to describe the man that I perceived as threatening me. Well, after 30 million views, well, you, you understand how this goes. She ended up getting charged, and ultimately the charges were dismissed. All right. Well, what happened to her is she was a portfolio. She was head of insurance portfolio management at Franklin Templeton. 
she had a really, really good job. She'd worked there for about five years. Once this video of her and the confrontation with the guy over the dog at the park, once it goes public, Franklin Templeton comes in and they fire her. They, they, they fire her pretty much on the spot. Within like 24 hours, she, she was fired. Um, she says, look, you know, she, this, this wasn't motivated by racial animus. She wasn't, she wasn't a racist. She said she was alone in the park and frightened to death. And she says, look, I think I was a victim in a way. I think this guy selected me as a target. He filmed me and she thinks, I think he's, you know, overzealous. Franklin Templeton fired her, I mean, pretty much as soon as this went viral. They said um, that, look, um, we believe the circumstances speak for themselves. We're not employing racist. Boom, she's gone. She's now filed a lawsuit alleging that she's really, she was unfairly branded as an international symbol of racism and that um, she, in fact, is, is the subject of racial discrimination by being fired. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Any sympathy for Amy Cooper? We discuss in just a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Right. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I have a ton of sympathy for this woman. Um, interesting to me is the movement on this one. Since she was alone, she's a woman. It does seem to me like she was set up by the gentleman to film and then make a big deal about it. Unfortunately, the woke nation we live in today uh, took the incident and ran with it. Jeff, it seems to me like the lady with the dog got baited. Um, where she went way, way wrong was making up a false story. That's some of the stuff that she said afterwards. One of our callers says, no sympathy for her at all. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gianni in Montello. Hi, Gianni. Oh, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Yeah, I, I saw the, the video, uh, Jeff, and it, it, it doesn't look good. It's, um, you know, but then now you introduced another element to the equation that, that he was trying to lure the dog away from her. Now, now that, that sounds particularly peculiar to me. I, I don't know. Um, what, 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 uh, you know, why he would do that? Well, because, um, that, I mean, I mean well, here, well, here's well, the story. Me, well, I don't hear, here's the story. I mean, that there, so, and this is, this, she says this happens before that they, he starts filming. He says, you gotta leash your dog. She says, I'm not putting my dog on a leash. He then says, according to her, that he would give the dog treats to draw the animal away from her. See, I'm, so if you're not gonna put him on a leash here, I'm gonna get the dog to come to me and then I'll grab the dog. That's what I think she's implying. Oh, well, that's, that's reasonable. That's entirely reasonable. Or, 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 you know, he, he could give her the treat, so, so he would lure the dog back to her, and he has the leash and that. But that, that would make sense then. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, did, does she have? Did, should she have been fired from her job? You know, Jeff, I, I, I don't necessarily think so. Um, you know, it's, um, it's, it, 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 certainly, it's the prerogative of the company to do that, but um, yeah. you know, I, I don't necessarily think that it's, you know, she, she should lose her job over it. Uh, if, if the facts are, as, as, as you were reporting, that, that um, uh, you know, if they're true, then, then she obviously made a mistake, but oh. I, I'm not sure that, uh, 
that's something to lose your, um, you know, high-paying job. Uh, yeah, no, th- see, and this is where, uh, th- thanks for the call, John. See, this is where I, I, I wrestle with this. Because I, before this top, before we did this, I, I went back and I, I watched the film, and she's clearly, I, I get it, it you, you see a snapshot of this, and she's screaming at the guy, um, what was it? And she clearly refers to him as an Afri- as an African American. She says that twice on the tape. There's there's no doubt about that. But w- was this really racial animus? Her story is: Look, I, I I'm I'm in this confrontation with this guy. I'm by myself. I'm a woman here, and I. I she said, I, it wasn't racial. I, I didn't like the fact that the guy, I thought he was threatening me. I look at this. Now, here, here's the reality. Here's, here's part of the problem with this. I don't think she makes a civil rights case. She, she said, she said, I'm being discriminated against because I'm white and I'm female. I, I don't, I don't think that's, that's going to be a really tough standard. I think you can make a strong argument that Franklin Templeton overreacted to this that they took the oh my gosh this is 30 million views and you know everybody's now calling this woman that this is this is the classic example of the of the Karen and we don't want to be associated with this you can make I think a fair argument that that, that that was perhaps an overreaction, and maybe they should have done some investigation, and then maybe they should have figured out what her side of this was, and maybe they should have waited. In this case, like I say, the criminal charges ended up getting dismissed against her, and, and maybe they shouldn't have jumped the gun if you think they jumped the gun. Having said that, to be able to prove that this was, uh, again, uh, uh, that this was, you know, her, that she was a violation of, of uh, you know, again, racial discrimination. I, I think that's probably a bridge too far, which is why I think the lawsuit's going nowhere. But it doesn't mean that I think that she was necessarily fairly treated by her employer. I think this is one of these things that is a more complicated story than is just caught on those few seconds of tape. Let's talk to Steve in Wauwatosa. Hi, Steve. Hi, I'm glad you're, you're touching on this. This conversation came up a few months ago. I'm, I'm in unison with you. It's not about whether or not she's being treated fairly, as, as she would like to make an argument for. Neither was the gentleman that was watching the birds treated fairly. The problem that, we, that I saw in this whole thing was that it's this kind of behavior when people have uh, a panic reaction, which is I, what I really think she did. I don't think there was mal- as much malice as people would like to paint it. But as she escalated it, yeah. and as she began to you, this is an, an educated woman that works in, in a professional environment. As she escalated the description, as she escalated yeah. those circumstances, the results could have absolutely been lethal. And here we have a woman with a dog versus a man with a pair of binoculars telling her to put the dog on the leash. Had she done so, if life was fair, she would have put the dog on the leash. She would now have a dog on a leash within a few feet of her and a man over there in the bushes if she would have just walked away. Yep. Instead, some cops could have showed up. We've seen yep. what's, what's happened with law enforcement. And this, if, thank goodness for the recording or what would have happened to this man's life? Mm-hmm. Should she I have mean, been fired? And I, and I, I agree. And, and look, is she, she clearly as an employer? Yeah. I, I was a professional employer for 40 years. I would have to question her judgment on those things that might happen without film. Okay, good enough. Look how yeah. fast she went into the panic. Yeah, Anyways, no, thanks no, no, th- no, thanks for the call. No, no, and I appreciate. I mean, I appreciate the perspective. I, I, I think whether or not, and this is this is what people 
don't understand a lot of times about the world, and that is that an employer, most people are at-will employees, meaning you don't have a contract or you're not, you know, either through a union or otherwise, and you can be fired for any reason or no reason. Um, you just can't be fired for an illegal reason. So she's got to come up with an ill. So it doesn't mean it matter. Doesn't necessarily mean the employer is right. It just the question is: Was the employer acting legally or illegally? Did he discriminate against her? I think that's going to be a a tough claim. That's why my guess is this lawsuit goes nowhere. But I do question whether or not this might have been an overreaction simply because this whole story went viral like it did. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. Please stick around. 